Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, well, we are in a series called In Deserts Like These, and it's actually just one big sermon in two parts. This is just a, a mini-series, two-part series before we get started with Christmas. Anybody ready for Christmas already? It's like a woo, one woo in the crowd. <laughs> That's all right, you still have a month, a little less than a month now. But listen, last week we talked about how God has purpose for us in deserts like these. Deserts where we're we're wandering, we're afraid, we're running from our past. Deserts before we get what we want, right? Sometimes we forget that there can also be deserts after we get what we want. Right? The blessing comes, that thing that we have prayed for, for for so long, the thing that we thought would never come. In Moses' case, freedom from Egypt. It finally came. We, we were in his story last week before Egypt was free. right? But it finally came. They were free. They, they weren't, there was nobody pursuing anymore. They weren't running anymore. But now, here they are. The slaves have been taken out of Egypt but they still thought and behaved like slaves. And we can see this throughout their story as Exodus moves on. Today we're going to look at what God calls us to in deserts like those. And Moses had already been called to purpose back at the burning bush. Now what is he being called to? He fulfilled that purpose, right? He freed the slaves from Egypt. Now what? Now, we talked a lot about last week about how God wants to use you. He wants to equip you, guide you, nurture you, discipline you. He wants to push you and stretch you. He wants to use you to reach the world, help the world, feed the world. Remember, the world is needy. We had this talk last week. The world is needy. It needs you. Jesus put a lot of time and energy into teaching us how to be selfless, how to be servants in this world, almost as if we had no idea before he came, because I don't think we did. He spent a lot of time and energy on that concept. We often feel like we're not qualified, like we can't do it. We're too sinful, too selfish, too whatever, but there's good news. Bushes burn in deserts like that. Bushes burn. A bush burned in the wilderness to call Moses back into purpose, even though he was trying so hard to hide. Forty years he spent hiding in that desert. But a bush burned in that desert, and it called him back into relationship, back into purpose and calling. He had complaints, he had excuses, he had all kinds of reasons to ask God to be let out of it, but God had called him. Today, I want to take this a little told you I wasn't quite done with this concept. It's actually one sermon in two parts. Now that you've had a week to think about all of this, that God calls us to purpose, to, to think of all the ways that you can give and serve in this world, all the ways that you have been called to be a solution in this world. It's only half the story. It's only half Moses' story. I believe it's only half of ours too. After his calling at the burning bush, that standing on holy ground moment, Moses went on to be tested and then tested again and then tested again. In fact, throw a rock at any page in Exodus and you'll see Moses being tested. He was tested when he had to stand in front of Pharaoh 
only to be rejected and mocked and imitated and ridiculed nine times in a row until finally the tenth, he was hated as well. He brought destruction in the eyes of the Egyptians. He brought the destruction. It wasn't their own decision making. That tenth plague was a test in and of itself as well, the biggest one yet. All of Israel was tested along with Moses. Would they be obedient and follow the Lord's instructions? Or would they lose their firstborn? Now, he was tested when he let the entire nation of Israel, after this, he led them to a dead end. Finally, Pharaoh said, fine, go. Get out and take everything with you. They're led to a dead end. The sea. Right? And the people who had just been singing Moses' praises on the way out of Egypt, now they're panicking, they're scared, they're complaining all over again. If you had just let us be in Egypt, we wouldn't be trapped here now, like sitting ducks ready for the slaughter. God delivered them from that too, though, right? Parted the Red Sea, and after the sea, now they're hungry, they're, they're thirsty, nothing to eat or drink, no way to provide for themselves. He was tested over and over and over again. Even after that, they were tested. They were attacked by the Amalekites. They were tested from within. The Israelites are complaining. They're warring even within themselves. The testing just never seems to stop for Moses. I mean, read chapter after chapter. Even just read the headings of the chapters in Exodus 4 through 30. He was tested. Locked over and over and over. It just never seemed to stop for Moses. So this is what the Lord said to me this week never seemed to stop for Moses. Why do you think yours should stop? Why do you think at some point your testing will stop? Just because you got what you wanted? Just because God answered your prayer? Should it stop then? Listen, until we graduate to heaven, the testing won't stop. It may change, it may grow, it may evolve into new opportunities and challenges, but it is never going to stop on this side of eternity. And if we can't learn to grow with it, we're going to get stuck out there in the wilderness, in the desert. Even after God has answered our prayers, what I want you to see today is that it's not the answering of prayers alone that is our salvation. God calls us to obedience in deserts like these. Last week was he calls us to purpose, but it doesn't stop there. He also calls us to obedience. This is the second part of this. He can't just stop at purpose. Yes, God calls us to purpose in deserts like these, but that's not all he calls us to. See, we often want to be discovered by God, not developed by God. We want to be discovered for who we are, all of our gifts and talents and worthiness, somebody just to see us and put us on a stage and let us do our thing. Maybe not all of us. Some of us are terrified by the stage, but you get the idea. We want to be discovered for who we are, not developed by God. I I want God just to take my gifts and talents and use them. I don't want God to process my character, to test me, to teach me, to guide me. I, I don't want him to show me I'm wrong, certainly, or hold up a mirror and let me see how selfish I am. Don't want that. See, last week's message, it felt good, right? It felt good to be told that even though Moses messed up, God still called him to purpose. Even though Moses felt like he wasn't good enough, God still called him and put him back in the game. I mean, who doesn't love an underdog story, right? Anybody love an underdog story? But God may call you from there. He isn't going to leave you there. God is going to process your character, 
He is going to test you, change you. And it's often his blessings that will do that. Like some people think, well, God wouldn't do this to me, or God wouldn't do that to me. If this really came from God in my life, would it cause me to get so off track? It must not be God's will for me to have this. I'm supposed to just be stuck in whatever situation I find myself in. Those blessings were never from God if they meant if they got me here. This is what the Israelites thought too. God must not have let us out of Egypt. That was all that fellow Moses is doing. We wouldn't be here at a dead end at the Red Sea if God had done this. We wouldn't be out here with no food and water if God had done this. Moses, why would you do this to us? But the problem with that line of thinking is that it makes you a helpless victim of your circumstances. When the truth is that you have a choice. God gives us blessings, blessings that we pray for, and we still are selfish. And we still are hopeless without Jesus. God wants to process your character in such a way that you can handle more blessings, not less. And so sometimes he gives you what you're asking for, even though you don't deserve it. And then he processes your character to be able to handle more. Because he is a graceful God. So last week we covered Exodus 3 and 4. We're going to catch up with Moses' story after he goes back and confronts Pharaoh, after the ten plagues, after the Passover, after the parting of the Red Sea, after God provides manna and water, after God reveals himself at Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. After all of this, right, Moses is busy setting up government and justice within the people. Remember, they had just been freed from Egypt. They had none of that. So God is is helping Moses through all of it. Moses comes before the people and he says, okay, here's the plan, guys. And God needs you all to say yes. He needs you to accept it. He needs you to say, I'm in. And so they do. Israel enters into a covenant with the creator of heaven and earth. They literally basically sign a legal document with God. Yes, we are in. Yes, you are our leader. You are our God. There is no other. And then Moses goes back up the mountain. Now they begin their plan. God gives instructions for all of it. The the tabernacle, the anointing oil, the incense in the tabernacle, instructions for the Sabbath. He's a detailed God, and he really gets into all the details. And Israel is on board with all of it. And they complain along the way. But once they get to Mount Sinai, they're in. I mean, you would think they would be in. You would think they would have their act together by this point. They had seen all the plagues. It's seen the the seas parted. They're literally eating manna from heaven every day. Miraculously, God is feeding them. Deliverance after deliverance, miracle after miracle. God had proved himself so many times by this point. And yet we still have a chapter 32. (laughs) If you haven't read Exodus in a while, I encourage you, go back and read through Exodus. It is a wild ride, (laughs) okay? Exodus chapter 32 is called the gold calf. And if you know the story, it's, it's hard. This chapter is hard to read. It's just hard for me to read. When you really read through Exodus and you see all the things that God had done for these people, this chapter is just hard to read. But we're going to read most of it today. Are you ready? Yeah. Buckle up. Here we go. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. I can't even go on before we stop there. 
When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down that mountain. Look, this is why we talk about even if he doesn't faith around here. Even if he doesn't faith, meaning we pray for things that we want and we believe that God is good, that he wants to provide them for us. But we also have even if he doesn't faith. Even if he doesn't rescue me from this. Even if he doesn't provide for me here. I'm still going to worship and serve him because I know that God is sovereign and he knows better than I do. There has to be that thing in your spirit. Or you'll get stuck here. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. It had only been 40 days and 40 nights. We get that detail right before this. 40 days. They couldn't wait 40 days. So long for Moses to come back down the mountain. This is why we work on our patience as well, because God doesn't always work on our timeline, does he? Be patient or you will get yourself in trouble, as we can see them already doing here. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses number two. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us already. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. This fellow? Anybody else have a problem with this? This fellow? That dude who showed up and now he's gone. Right? This fellow. Just a heads up to all you leaders in the room. You are replaceable in people's hearts. (laughs) Right? We, We sometimes think that people can't live without us. We get these huge heads. But Moses, after all he had done for them by this point, he's just this fellow. This fellow Moses. It's also just a reminder to not let the crowd lead you because the crowd is fickle. You lead the crowd, which is what Aaron should have done. But instead, verse 2, Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. See, I got stuck on this detail a while ago when I was studying this passage because how do slaves have gold rings in their ears? Ever, Ever wonder that? Usually slaves don't have a lot of things, and so I started to research. Why do wives and sons and daughters, I mean, not very long ago they were slaves. How do they have this? Right? If you read through Exodus, you realize that the Egyptians, by the time we got through ten plagues, the Egyptians were so afraid of them when they left Egypt with, with all the plagues, the death, all of it. They literally gave them all of their jewelry and fine things on their way out of town. They blessed them on their way out of town because they said, go and good riddance. Please leave. We're dying for you to leave. Go with blessing. (laughs) They gave them all of their things. So at this point in Israel's story, they are taking, literally taking what God had blessed them with from the hands of their enemies, and they're making a God out of it. Seems ridiculous. So he realized that we do this too. And they began to worship the blessings of God, quite literally, instead of God himself. And it sounds utterly ludicrous until you realize we do this all the time. We pray and pray and pray for our business to flourish, that that baby to come, that promotion to at work to to get through. We, We pray for all of these good things in our lives, and then we get it, and we begin to worship it instead of the God that provided it. We begin to, to skip church because the business needs us. Or, or we, we skip our time with God because it's just so much harder now with little ones running around. And we, we make idols out of things and people today, too. It may not be in the image of a calf. 
from our gold melted down, right? But we do it too. We begin to worship the blessings of God instead of the God who provided the blessings. Verse 3, all the people took the gold rings from their ears and they brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. That important detail. He molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited they were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Wait, the Lord? Anyone else have a problem with that detail as well? The Lord? Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord, Aaron, or to the calf? Right? The Lord is up on the mountain with Moses. I mean, they're literally around the bottom of the mountain. They can see a cloud up on the mountain. Moses went up into it. You can see it from here, guys. You can see where the Lord is. You can literally see it. But they couldn't see their God. They couldn't, not a physical representation of him that had a mouth and eyes and ears, right? They couldn't see him, and they couldn't see their mouthpiece for God either. Moses, that fellow, whoever he was, he's gone now. It's been 40 days and 40 nights. Something must have happened to that fellow Moses. There's been no movement, no changes, no no developments. We're not slaves anymore, but we must have something to do. See, I think Aaron made a miscalculation here. I think Aaron compromised here. I think he had a lot of antsy, anxious people on his hands, and it was a lot of people. And I think he thought, I'll just keep them focused in the meantime. I'll just compromise with them. We can make compromises, right? I think he meant to still have all the people worshiping God. He thought this would be a good image of God while they waited. This would be something, busy work, something to keep them busy in the meantime. And and Moses will be happy when he comes back down and sees us having a party, right? Worshiping God, kind of. He reasoned the compromises away. He took a little bit of Egypt's religion. They worshiped animals in Egypt, okay? A little bit of Egypt's religion, and he thought, this will translate, this will be fine. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. You can't have it that way with God, can you? He is a jealous God. He doesn't share well with other gods because... It's just so ludicrous. Some people think, well, why is God jealous? Doesn't that make, it's not a bad thing. It's bad for us to be jealous. It's not bad for God to be jealous because think about how ludicrous it is to worship something you have made with your own hands when you have God, the God of the universe, the God who made you. (laughs) It's ridiculous to even think about. To compare a thing to the God who made the universe. Can you explain how the world works? How the earth stays in orbit? Yes, I'm still on this. Okay, for those of you who were here last week. Can you explain how the earth stays in orbit? Because I can't. I'm just thankful that it does. And if I can't, I, I know this statue can't. How can I possibly compare them? It doesn't make any sense. When you actually think about it. And I think Aaron thought, the people know this isn't God. Like, God, God. It's just something to focus them in the meantime. I got to keep the people happy after all. What if they revolt? What if if they go back to Egypt? What if, what if, what if? I get stuck in the what if sometimes, too. Aaron was a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. (laughs) 
He was too afraid of what the people would think, too afraid to be the bad guy and say no. He just couldn't trust God with any of it, and it quickly got out of hand. In verse 6, we see the people get, get up early the next morning, sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. This God, this calf, was easy. This God didn't give them rules and regulations. This God was cute. It was a calf, little baby cow. Anybody else love cows? Just the cutest things. And this wasn't even an adult, like a bull, something strong. It was a calf, little cute calf, cute little thing that needed them as much as they needed it. They had to take care of it, and and it was predictable. It let them do whatever they wanted, a soft God, and they fell in love with it at first sight. A God that told them they were all right just as they were. A God whose, whose vulnerability enhanced their self-esteem. They got to take care of it. It was a God who mirrored themselves, not the absolute God mirrored by the absolute faith of Moses. Moses would strive with the people for 39 more years after this moment and would win them back repeatedly to his absolute God. But no matter how many times they were won back, never again would they feel the spontaneous joy, the simple pleasure that they felt on that day in the presence of the golden calf. They were happy. <laughs> they felt free. But in reality, they weren't. It was a return to bondage, a return to something that they knew. This is why we stay in our pattern so often, by the way. We return because we know it. We return because it's easier. Not because it's safe. It just feels safe. Right? Because we know what to expect. And the not knowing seems harder. When really, all the Israelites had to do was wait. Waiting is easier, right? Waiting is easier than... than gathering all the gold in the camp and melting it down and molding it into a calf. Waiting is easier. It doesn't feel easier. They wanted a knowable God. This is the concept that actually blew up my mind this week, and I can't stop thinking about it. We want a knowable God. We want a predictable God is what I mean by that. Predictable. We want to be able to understand him. That's why throughout the centuries, we created gods that we could see, that we created with our own hands, because we could predict what they would do. We could tell them what to do, right? We want a predictable God, a, a God that behaves and, and acts in way that, ways that make us feel safe and in control and affirmed. A God that doesn't test us or challenge us, ask us to grow and change. They wanted a predictable God. Don't we too? We want a God that behaves in accordance with our own sense of justice, right? We want a God that does what we want him to do. We want a God that agrees with us all of the time, that we can agree with all of the time. A God that makes living in this culture easy, not problematic. A God that gives us what we want, makes us feel good all of the time. And sorry, not sorry, but that's just not the God of Israel, guys. It's just not. The God of Israel prioritizes a lot of things over your feelings, over my feelings. (laughs) He prioritizes actual safety over a sense of safety. He prioritizes spiritual health over physical health. He gives priority to others over himself, and he teaches us to do the same. He prioritizes the next life over this one. 
He prioritizes people over things, and he prioritizes spiritual gain over financial gain. He prioritizes the good that can come from waiting on him and his timing to a rushed victory. There is no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme in the kingdom of God. I've never found one in the whole of the Bible. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is anything but predictable to the human mind. Verse number seven, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I don't know about you, but knowing all of this that we know so far, that breaks my heart for God. Can you imagine? You've done all of this for the people, and here they are already turning on you. It's been 40 days. Moses had to go back down that mountain and deal with it. He actually melted down the gold and the the calf and ground it into powder and made the people drink it. (laughs) Which I just think is the coolest power move. Like, what? (laughs) He made the people drink it. I also believe, because I've looked into this too, I was like, God, why? And what does that do to the human body to drink gold, right? I actually believe what he did caused that gold to never be able to be used again. He didn't recycle it. He didn't put it back into something. It was never going to be used in a temple somewhere or in somebody's house. He physically caused it to never be able to be used again. It was going to go through people's systems, right? Nobody's going to find it after that. They're just not. No one could ever go and gather up those gold pieces and make something else out of it. Plus, I think it was sort of a rubbing Israel's nose in their sin situation. You have to deal with the consequences of what you did. Verse 21, finally he turned to Aaron, and he demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? I think he's imagining like a hostage situation. They they locked you up, right? They beat you to make you do this. No, don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. What? They said to me, make make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Really? Really? Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side... Come here and join me. And all of the Levites gathered around him. I feel like, I I know I shouldn't like want to change the word of God, but I feel like it should say only the Levites gathered around him. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Levi, the tribe of Levi is only one of them. Only the Levites gathered around him. Only one tribe, one family repented immediately. Moses was literally like drawing a line in the sand, saying, anybody who's with me, come over here. Anybody who's with the Lord. And they were all worshiping the calf. The Bible makes no distinction there, so we have to assume they were all worshiping the calf. But the Levites repented immediately. When given a choice, a clear line in the sand, one family 
just one chose the God of Israel. Verse 27, Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. For you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. God calls us to obedience in deserts like these. In deserts after we've received the blessing, God calls us to obedience. But even when you fall short, because you will, a quick repentance will still ordain you. This is important. A quick repentance will still ordain you. Look, following God isn't easier. I don't know who is spreading the lie in Christianity that following God is easier. In many ways, many ways, it is not easier. But I will tell you, it is better. It's better. There is promised land on the other side of obedience. The promises of God are on the other side of obedience. There is purpose and wholeness and oneness with your maker on the other side of obedience. There's fulfillment, true fulfillment, not surface level. There, there is forgiveness of all of you. It is the difference between living in the light and living in death. Depression and joy, bondage and freedom. It is not easier in the short term, but it is better in the long run. God calls us to purpose in deserts like we talked about last week, but he calls us to obedience in deserts like these. Deserts where it seems like everyone else is doing the easy thing. Deserts where it would be so easy to give into our flesh and do the selfish thing, the, the thing that feels good in the moment. God calls us to obedience because he wants us to have life and life abundantly. God is not this angry guy in the sky giving you rules and regulations and, and trying to make your life miserable. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. He wants abundance for you, but obedient, abundance follows obedience. <laughs> Not the other way around. Abundance follows obedience. The love of God is unconditional, but the blessings of God are conditional upon our obedience. Some of us today, we just need to repent. We know we've been doing things that are easy, that are selfish, that are compromising. Or maybe you're living in your blessings right now. And if you had to take a good hard look around your life, you could see just how blessed you actually are. Like you are living in the answered prayers of the past. You're blessed. How many prayers God has answered for you? And I'm actually pretty convinced we get ourselves in a lot of trouble with just two things. Not being thankful enough for those blessings and being too impatient to get more. Thanklessness and impatience can land us here in disobedience. And this was the problem of the Israelites. So quickly, so quickly, 40 days and 40 nights, so quickly they forgot what God did for them. So they forgot what God can do for them. And they couldn't wait. We have to get ourselves to this place where we're not going to get stuck in the wilderness. A lot of us, we get freed by the power of Jesus. We are free. But we squander our freedom. 
by just not being obedient, we get impatient and thankless, prideful, really. That's what it boils down to. We start to think we made our blessings happen. And now we get to let our guard down. It's just not true. We have to embrace the waiting period. God is trying to teach you something. Embrace looking back and thanking God for what he has given us. Embrace looking ahead to what he's going to do, as impossible as it feels. As the band comes today, we're going to do some assessing today. We're going to look at our lives honestly. Look at the impatience. Look at the thanklessness. Now, I know we just came through Thanksgiving and we practiced this a little bit this week, right? But really look at your life. Because it's easy, so easy, to get into the comparison game. And we compare our lives to other people and we come to the conclusion that we don't measure up. That they're further ahead than we are. That they have more blessings than we do. But God must just not love us as much. Or we start to get um, demanding of God. God, why don't I have that yet? How dare I not have that yet? Look at all the things I've done for you. We get very entitled. Don't look at others. Look at what God has done for you. How far have you come? What miracles has God worked in your life? How have you grown spiritually? What blessings do you have now because of your obedience in the past? Maybe even your parents' obedience. Every holiday, I don't know about you, but I look back and I see these generations of Christians in my family on both sides. So many believers in my family, generations of them. And I think the blessings that I enjoy are not because of me. The generations that came before me. Blessings of God are passed down for a thousand generations, the Bible says. Curses only passed down three. I am living in the blessings of God of my ancestors. The way that they live affected me. Now, that's why child dedications like we did today are so important. You get to pass down the blessings of God. You get to pass them down. I'm living in my parents' blessings of their obedience. Stop looking at what you don't have today and look at what you do have. The Israelites weren't in the promised land yet, but they were free. They weren't flowing with milk and honey yet, but they had manna from heaven delivered on a daily basis. They had enough for that day. They weren't building a future yet, but they were walking toward it for the first time in centuries. Don't get stuck in the wilderness because you can't trust God with the promised land. And don't forget what he's brought you out of. Some of you today, he's brought you out of addiction. Some of you have been brought out of selfishness, of hopelessness. Some of you have been brought out of depression, of sickness, of fear and anxiety. Some of you have been brought out of loneliness, of hiding, of poverty, of abuse, of toxic relationships, of grief. And those are just the real stories that I personally know of. God brings us out of so much. What has he brought you out of today? What has he brought you out of today? Told you we're going to do some assessing. I want you, not out loud, but actually answer that in your head. What has he brought you out of? 
Begin to list them. Because I'm here to tell you today, he's not done yet. He's not done yet. He's got more for you. He's got promised land for you. He's got milk and honey for you. Yeah, you're free, but he's not done yet. Don't get stuck in the wilderness because you can't see what he's done in the past. Keep it fresh in your mind. Keep lists. Keep an answered prayer list, not just a I'm praying for list. Because he answers prayers. He wants to answer your prayers. He's asking for obedience. And it's simple obedience, guys. Sin asks for so much more. So much more. I I always get frustrated with people who say 10% as a tithe. That's what God asked me to give the church. Like, that's so much. Sin asks you for so much more. God only asks you for 10%. Let's you keep 90. Sin takes everything. Everything. And I guarantee you keep living in selfishness. It will take everything. He only asks you for simple obedience. Because he wants to not only see you free and forgiven, but in the promised land. He loves you too much to leave you where he found you. And Moses basically drew a line in the sand here. And he said, guys, who's with me? Me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Who's with me? And the Levites, they said, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm saying that today. I am in. I'm all in. I, I, if any of this doesn't work out, if, if my finances don't work out, if my health fails, whatever it is, I'm still going to be obedient because I'm in. If it all falls apart, I'll still be obedient. If things don't go my way, if the things that I'm praying for, they don't happen, I'm still going to be obedient. I'm choosing to trust God, choosing to claim the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and I'm choosing to live in the light and not do things my own way. Choosing to trust his plan is better for me, even if it's not easier. I'm in. Are you in today? Are you in today? Like if it's your first time choosing that today, I want to give you that opportunity in just a moment to make that decision once and for all. I know churches who never have these moments and they're still developing disciples, but sometimes I think that we need a moment. We need a line in the sand moment, a decision-making moment. We need that line to, to say, God, we are in. We're stepping over the line. We're not looking back. If this is that moment for you, we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You can also text the number on the screen. I'd love to help you with that decision. But I also want to pray for those of you that are in, but are maybe tipping your toe over the line a little bit. You're compromising a little bit. Maybe there's some things going on in your life where you've been choosing easy instead of obedient been choosing selfishness over selflessness. You know what God is calling you to do, but you just can't quite give up of whatever that thing is. I just can't picture your life without it. God's not done yet. He has more for you. 
You just have to give it to him. Give that thing to him. Be obedient. Get over that line and say, I'm in. Father, today, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that you've given us story after story in the Old Testament and the New to help teach us that we don't have to continue making those old mistakes. We can learn from them. Choose your way, knowing that your way is better you have better for us, that you want better for us, that you aren't done doing an amazing work in our life, that just because we were in between blessings doesn't mean you're done working. You have so much more for us, but you're calling us to obedience in deserts like these. Thank you, God, for setting us free. Thank you for setting us free. God, help us walk in your ways. Teach us your ways. Correct us. Guide us. Show us how we can be better. Serve more people. Do more for you. Use us, God. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. Just to give everybody a moment. I told you we were going to assess today. But really think, what are you asking me to do, God? Is there something you're calling me to right now? Is there some bit of obedience that we need to get on board with? Something we need to let go of? Something we need to repent of and leave on the other side of that line? Maybe today you're saying for the first time, I'm in. I'm in. I want to live my life his way. I want to leave behind the old. I want to repent. I want the forgiveness what Jesus provides. That's what Jesus is all about. He came to make it easy. That all we have to do is claim his sacrifice, his name before God the Father. And all God sees is him. He forgives all of the things, all of the selfishness, all of the sin in your life. He forgives it. He forgets it. And all he sees is Jesus. So today, if, if that's you, you're in for the first time. You want to say yes to Jesus, yes to living your life for him. Would you just raise your hand where you are? This is that moment, the line in the sand moment. I want to follow Jesus. I'm stepping over the line. I'm in. Raise your hand up if you're here in the room. If you're watching online, text the number on the screen. We'd love to help you with that decision today. Thank you. Today, Again, maybe you have already made this decision. You're in for Jesus, but maybe you've been compromising. I don't know where that thing is. Maybe you're you're choosing selfishness in a relationship. Maybe you've been acting out in anger too often, only thinking about yourself. Maybe it's, it's an addiction in your life. I don't know what it is, but God does. And you do. You're really honest with yourself. I'm honestly having a a conversation with God today. He's calling you to more. I know he's calling you to more because he's always calling me to more too. As soon as I get comfortable, he calls me to more. Tests me, pushes me, stretches me to more. He has more for me and he wants to do more through me. 
He wants the same for you today. I'm just going to ask today that you would stand, that you would sing one more time, that as you do, you would have an honest conversation with God. Thank him for what he's done in the past. Really thank him that you are living in the blessings and the answered prayers from the past and ask him what he has for you in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
can we give the band and uh, Aaron and Pastor Candace for that good message? That one line, you still want me. He wants us and in our, in our imperfections. Zephaniah 3.17 says he dances over us. He sings over us. He wants us. He wants you. Amen. So whatever he spoke to you this morning, whatever peel that onion was that needed to come off, trust him because he is trustworthy. His heart is for you and me. He wants us. He loves us so much. We can put our hand in his because it says in scripture, he reaches down with his right hand and holds us and picks us up and strengthens us. Amen. Thank you, Father God. We thank you for your love. We, we just, sometimes it's just more than we can understand. It is more than we can understand. Father God, as you spoke in our hearts today, where do you want to take us on? You love us too much to leave us right here. You want to move us on to glory, to glory, to glory. Help us understand that you are for us. You are for us. So we can run to you, run to that answer, run and know that you're changing us, taking us on. And we can trust in that and not worry, not be afraid, but trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. All right. Thank you for coming. We love you. Don't forget this Wednesday, first Wednesday, bold brave for the ladies' men's class. Special prayer. Prayer team is up here. A special prayer class. Prayer team is up here. If you need prayer, please come and have somebody agree with you. For it says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am. See you next week. And if you can, bring a friend. <laughs>